Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 67 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Joel and Amos and beginning a rapid run through the final books of the Old Testament. Let's begin with Joel. Joel is a sobering call to repentance and a declaration of imminent judgment. It's also a book of hope and providence. Joel 1 is largely a call to the people to mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. For the fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails. Even the priests were to put on sackcloth and mourn, for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. Joel 2 begins with a call to blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. What follows is a vivid description of the approaching enemy forces, before whom every face turns pale. These vast forces charge like warriors, and they all march in line. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. And yet, it was not too late to repent. As God urges his people, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Then the scene changes. Then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. Then God promises to drive the northern horde far from you. So do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Once again, the land will bear a plentiful harvest. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. You will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. The last part of chapter 2 even includes apocalyptic references, including the outpouring of the Spirit on all people and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. There's also this beautiful line, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel 3 begins with this promise of both deliverance and judgment. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. While Israel was to be restored, the nations would be brought to trial. For what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Among the nations charged with violence are Tyre, Sidon, and the regions of Philistia for taking my silver and my gold and finest treasures. They had also sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks. See, I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. What follows was an urgent call for the people to prepare for war, because trouble was coming. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. The chapter and book ends with the rest and prosperity promised to Israel and desolation 
vowed against her enemies. Joel's final word, the Lord dwells in Zion. Amos, I'll let the book make its own introduction. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Isaiah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Amos 1 is a declaration of judgment against Damascus for, the, for her cruelty to Gilead, judgment against Gaza because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom, judgment against Tyre because she also sold whole communities of captives to Edom, and judgment against Edom because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. And judgment against Ammon, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend its borders. Amos 2 continues with judgment against Moab, because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king, and judgment against Judah, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed, and judgment against Israel because, and the list is long, they sell the innocent and the needy, they trample on the heads of the poor, deny justice to the oppressed, etc. God then reminds them that he has delivered them and raised up Nazarites and prophets to guide them which they rejected. So what's next? Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Amos 3 declares, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. And the final verses sum up the entire chapter well. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions be demolished, declares the Lord. Amos 4, by the chapter you should read, begins ominously. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Tragically, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. The chapter continues with several similar observations. Here's another example. I also withheld rain from you. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me. The last verses of the chapter essentially form the introduction for what will soon follow in the next chapter. Here's the beginning of that introduction. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Amos 5 begins with these words from God, Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. And so God's people are urged, Seek the Lord and live 
or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. The people are reminded of God's greatness before being accosted for their practice of injustice, taxing the poor, oppressing the innocent, taking bribes, etc. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Otherwise, there will be wailing in all the streets. The people are then warned. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. God then rebukes the people for their insincere worship. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amos 6 begins with this rebuke. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. The next part of the chapter begins with this rebuke. I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city, everything in it. For the Lord has given the command and he will smash the great house into pieces and the small house into bits. Because the people had turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. Amos 7 finds the prophet, after seeing that God had prepared a devastating swarm of locusts, crying out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. The same interaction happens between God and Amos after he sees that the Lord was calling for judgment by fire. This conversation continued with God showing the prophet a plumb line and then informing him, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The second half of the chapter tells of Amaziah the priest sending a message to Jeroboam II, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. Amos then retorts with a message from God to Amaziah the priest of coming doom to him and his country. Amos 8 begins with a vision of a basket of ripe fruit, with God telling the prophet, The time is right for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Why? Because the needy were trampled and the poor done away with, and God would never forget anything they have done. As judgment fell, the festivals would become a time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Worse, a famine was coming, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Amos 9 declares that judgment is coming. Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. 
Not one will get away. None will escape. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. And yet, restoration is promised. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. And that's all for today.